more CES wrap-up, and Apple employs AI to read audiobooks. This is Mac Voices. Today's edition of Mac Voices is supported by Rocket Money. Take full control of your subscriptions with Rocket Money at rocketmoney.com slash macvoices. We don't want to just make this all about CES. Before we before we finish it up, Norbert, um, Dave, anything that is worth mentioning um, in general about CES other than if you ever get a chance to go, folks, go. Yes. Just wear comfortable shoes. Yeah. What do you think, Norbert? Uh, the, the other thing that kind of caught my eye this time about CES uh, is that there was very little vaporware there uh, i think a lot of the mm-hmm. vendors and people that we spoke to was very pragmatic type of things that are either on the market coming to the market it's not something that you'll see you know in the jetsons you don't see rosie the robot ironing your clothes and picking your clothes up like i did <laughs> we did in 2020 uh, it was stuff that is going to be out and available for sale and you know that you'll actually see and it'll, it'll come to fruition. It's not something that's out there in the future in 20, 25 years. That's a, a pleasant change from past years. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with Norbert on that. There was a lot of the products were out there. There were definitely the items that you definitely can expect that are going to hit the market and be practical. And, and, you know, Norbert, I hadn't even thought about it in those terms, but you're right we would run across somebody that would say, you know, this is coming second quarter, maybe third quarter. I think there was one company that said by end of year, and I don't even remember what it was, but for exactly. the most part, things, things are either shipping or, you know, headed to market very, very quickly. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic and the fact that they haven't been there. So maybe they weren't releasing things other years. I don't know. Yeah, and there were pilots on the market too, that are already on the market that were actually yeah. shown as well. Yeah, I bought something right here. A lot of announcements that I saw, though, that were things that, you know, price, stuff like that, like the Dell 6K monitor, and there was some some other monitors that looked interesting, but no pricing. Right. That, to me, is always a telltale sign that it's not ready and fully baked. You know, they show something and, you know, they can easily say, oh, it's available in second quarter or available in March and then it can slip out. But, you know, if they don't know their price, it's either because, you know, there's some other competitor who's going to announce something and they want to wait and hedge their bets or it's just not ready and not fully baked. LG was like that with the the wireless TV they were they were spouting for uh, that, uh, you know, has the separate box that can be 30 feet away from the tv and you don't need to have any cords anywhere other than plugging into electricity and uh really cool tv too but yeah they didn't have any pricing for it yet so i have a question i'd address this both to you chuck and uh, to jeff is one thing i've i've observed over the past uh you know many 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 years is you know that a lot of the uh, journalistic community you know they seem to get sucked in on some of these things, or even if a product's ready to grow, to, sorry, ready to go, uh, for whatever reason, you know, they very rarely seem to touch on price. Now, I don't know if that's because they're just not interested, but uh, it seems to me that it happens often enough that uh, it seems to me it's a systemic bias of some sort. What say you guys? 
I wouldn't say bias. I'd say it's it's more about uh, uh, the products that uh, the media is covering. In many cases, fall into that category that you just mentioned, where there is no price announced yet. Now, the problem that I see is that if there's no price available. Note that in the article. Don't just skip it because it's actually an important thing for people to know. Um, you know whether or not there's actually a price point for the product yet. That's a good Jeff. Point. I yeah, and, and I agree with that completely, Jeff. I I mean that's one of the things that I try to ask. Unless I've been specifically asked not to ask that, I try to ask pricing and availability so that you do have some idea. And listen, if, if the price isn't set yet, the price isn't set yet. That's that's and, their and prerogative. It's okay well, to I say would, in your yeah. in your content, there's no price set yet, or they haven't right. announced uh, okay, pricing but, yet. But again, you know, having worked at product companies, I would take a really hard ass uh, devil's advocate against that. That. A, a price is an essential part of the product as much as it speeds and feeds and you know, how many you can put on a pallet and what the thing caught, you know, weighs and what gets in the box. It's so integral to the product itself that if they don't have it, it's a clear sign, you know, that it's just not ready. Yep. I, well, I, I, this year I would probably give them a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt because prices in general are in flux. You know, we, we're still dealing with some shipping delays, with supply issues, with labor yeah. issues, labor costs. So companies are not going to you know, jump out and give you a price when that price could change in six months, either up or down. Uh, well, so, six, uh, Norbert, if it's six months away, the product's not ready. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's... Uh, Unless you unless you want to discuss, okay, this may be a product somehow in six months from now. But if they're going to go out and launch it, you know, if it's going to be available this quarter, they should certainly know their price. Well, Mark, I don't disagree from that standpoint. But on the other hand, this is CES, and if they don't have, if they have something that's not ready, but they still need to show it to to have a presence, you know, and what are you what are you going to do? You're just not going to show up. And, and who knows? Maybe they had products they thought were going to be well, ready, or well, they, should, they you know, thought they should be a little bit more forthcoming about you know, you know what its actual status is. Is is this a prototype that they have and they'll make? You know, I mean, because traditionally the wrap on CES is, is market research for the uh, manufacturers to see if they have something that people actually buy and they actually you know, bring into production. And you know, and and that's uh, that's fine. That's a you know totally legitimate uh, use of uh, exhibiting, but. You know, on other things, if if they're saying it's a product, but you know they don't have a price or they don't have availability dates, um, you know it's uh, you know as a you know as a reader, I'm just really not interested in stuff unless I can buy it. You know, it's and I have the same sort of uh, temporal intertemporal period objection to a lot of uh, you know, the coverage of. Okay, I just recently passed. 10 days upgraded to, uh, you know, Ventura. And I remember there's all sorts of great coverage about all the new features that, you know, all the sites were covering last August and things, but guess what? You know, it was, it wasn't out. <laughs> and, you know, if you take a conservative view of wait till you get the first major dot release before you know, Apple signals, it's really ready to go. You know, all that stuff is out there and I have to go back and you know, dig into it. So, you know, I think that, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, as, uh, as content creators and reporters, 
you'd be better off uh, you know, really headlining cool new product maybe someday in you know September in 2023 you know instead of uh, really winding up about uh, you know all its great uh, capabilities and use cases and it's not even available it may never even be available um I, I agree with you to uh, I guess I agree with you um, let me elaborate. So yeah, please do, Jeff. <laughs> um, um, I, yes, I do think that journalists covering what's at CES need to make it clear: is this a, a shipping product? Is the, if not, is there a shipping date? If not, uh, what is it that's making this newsworthy? And uh, and then it's also important that uh, that not only journalists but the public remember that CES is not a place where you show up and see all the cool stuff you're going to buy today. The purpose of CES is for vendors to show up and make deals and sell to other companies. And in some cases, what they're doing is, you know, like car manufacturers, when they, when they come up with some really cool concept car, the concept car will never be built. Uh, Ever. You know, Ever, but the point of the concept car is these are the kinds of things that we are capable of doing, and there are a lot of companies at CES that that will create these really cool technologies, not because they have a product to put them in today, but because they want to sell what they do to other companies and want to show these are the cool things that we could do. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I can see where there would be a lot of value in journalists being able to to vet what is uh, something that consumers are going to get and what is a really interesting technology and then uh, and then present their news accordingly. Yeah, Jeff, I've been yeah, I, I appreciate I appreciate that's a very well reasoned point of view. I've been going to CES since uh, you know help God help us, the Reagan administration. And you know, oh. yeah, it serves it serves all, it serves all the point of views you know that you that you mentioned, and you know, I think you know that uh, maybe maybe these, many of the younger journalists don't quite understand that uh, they can get trapped into uh, you know great vaporware and stuff that never ever you know will work out. Well, I think another problem to go along with that, Chuck. We've taken over the show. Sorry, no, um, go for it. Another problem that goes along with that is that there's a lot of journalists that are going to CES that that really actually don't understand what the show's all about. They think it's this glitz, fancy thing. You know, you get to see all this cool stuff. And there's another problem, which is that a lot of journalists don't want to go. And so they're going to this event that they're actually wishing they weren't at. And uh, and when you show up at a conference, especially one like CES, where you just don't want to be there, it's just <laughs> your job. And, uh, and you're covering content that way. It will impact the quality of what you produce. And, and and my feeling is, if you're going to CES to cover it, it better be because you enjoy going and covering what's happening at the event, and not simply because it's your job, and I got to take a week out of my life at the beginning of the year to go this stupid thing in Vegas again. Well, don't forget as well that um, there's the pressure to make sure that you're the first with the announcement on product ABC versus 
your competitors. So there's a lot of, a lot of times research is kind of thrown out the window so that they can get something online faster than some other website. And that's a problem. And, and actually, Chuck, this is one of the things that I really like about your content from CES. You were you taking the time to get your stuff right and produce uh, content with, uh, with a good perspective, as opposed to simply rushing to get your stuff out. Um, I, I mean, when you're, when you're releasing your videos, the last video that you release that's related to CES, I fully expect to be a few weeks from now. And not because you're lazy, but because you take the time to do it right. And, and also your machine, you, you have so much content that you've, that you've collected. It just takes time to get through all of it, but uh, you're not doing the, the, the whole thing of, of throwing out important information just to be first. So thank you for that. Well, and Jeff listen, I, I appreciate that. Um, and for the, one of the reasons we can generate so much content is because of Norbert, you know, being there to, you know, to, to work with me and that we work as a team to get that content. But it, it, it you're, you're kind of right. It always fascinates me as soon as you finish an interview. Now, how soon will this be up? You know, when can I see it? And it's like, don't you understand that everybody's news feeds are just flooded with everything from refrigerators to, you know, toenail clippers and that it just gets lost. And if in a, in a week or so, things have calmed down and people are going to start to pay a little more attention if they think that they're interested in your product. Um, right and on. I mean, right that, on. that, that, that works well for me, but also my philosophy, I mean, unfortunately, you know, I don't have a staff to edit and, and do all that. So, you know, it, maybe I'm justifying my approach to it. Um, and because listen, some of the interviews are, are two minutes. Some mm-hmm. are more like 12. I don't think anything this year, Norbert did. I don't think anybody really got off on a real ramble. I mean, we spent a fair amount of time with the people from next base because we thought it deserved it. And yeah. there might've, there might've been one or two others that were just a little longer, but for the most part, you know, the, the idea is to stop by the booth, say, hello, what are you showing? Tell the people about it then get out of the way. So somebody else can talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, if we want to do an in-depth interview later, then we'll do it remotely and we'll dig into all the details. So it's not intended to be comprehensive. It's intended to it's intended to give you the experience of if you were walking around the show floor and you said that that table over there looks interesting. Let's go talk to them. That's what it's supposed to be. And, and I I really like what you're doing. It it stands in stark contrast to what I did at CES. Um, I, I see it as you're you're the guy, you Norbert. You're the team that's out there getting all this really good information and digesting it into something that's useful for for your audience. And what I was doing was being the vicarious eyes for uh, for everyone that couldn't be there. And here's this cool thing. All right, let me talk to you about this cool thing. And uh, and it's the next best thing to my audience being there because I'm looking at it and I'm answering or asking the questions they wanted. I can do a two-minute video, the whole thing on my iPhone, publish it, and move on to the next uh, booth and do the same thing. And uh, And to me, that serves a completely different purpose, which is I'll be your vicarious eyes, whereas you're... I'm the guy that's coming up with this really interesting content about these things that you will find interesting, 
give me some time so I can get it to you the right way. And there's a lot of praise from Apple's early uh, Apple Music. I think you're curating it for us. Thank you. Chuck is our curator. He's our CES curator. Yes. But but Jeff was also curating in a different way under different circumstances for a different kind of publication. So, I mean, listen, with 3,100 exhibitors, somebody's got to curate. Otherwise, you'll go out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. might anyway. Yeah. yeah. When I went to go, CES. Go in go with, with mind blown. That's what I do. Yeah, I, when I went to CES, I already knew which halls I was never going to walk into because there just wasn't going to be time. Right, right. And uh, I mean, I don't mind saying we we spent a fair amount of time hanging out with um, with Dave Hamilton and John F. Braun yep. and Pilot Pete from the Mac Geek Gab. And I know this conversation came up a number of times. You have to go to CES with a plan. If you don't Absolutely. have a plan, even a bad plan is better than no plan because otherwise you're just going to sp- spend hours wandering and and maybe seeing some cool stuff but missing things that you really would have enjoyed seeing or would have benefited from similar thing for nab you know which is uh, also one of these other gigantic you know humongous conferences which is more geared to industry instead of uh, end users but uh, you know they're both huge which is why they're in vegas this edition of mac voices is supported by rocket money Do you know how much money your subscriptions cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions when the actual total is closer to $200. If you don't know exactly how much you're spending every month, you need Rocket Money. Even if you do know how much you're spending every month, you need Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills, all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you, so that you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Wouldn't you like to save $720 this year, or more? Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash macvoices. That's rocketmoney.com slash macvoices. Rocketmoney.com slash macvoices. Thanks to Rocket Money for supporting this week's Mac Voices. But, but you know, Mark, that's a good thing. I mean, there's a there's a con- little conversation going on in our private chat here about, you know, going. See, in, in case you're not aware, CES is not open to the public, folks. So you have to submit a reason for being there. Whether you're whether you're in the business, whether you are media, whether you are an industry analyst, um, I mean, you have to go through a process to get admitted, or you can't just buy a ticket, no matter what the price, and just walk in. Yep. So, hey, I'd, I'd like to get to one more topic, um, but I've, I want to make sure one more time that anything anything else to wrap up CES. I think we covered it well. Yeah, I think so too. And thank you guys for for sharing. Um, I'm, I was really curious. I'm throwing the, the link in the chat room. I hope I'm throwing the link in the chat rooms. Um, yeah, it looks like it took. Um, this is the story about Apple's artificial intelligence uh, reading audiobooks. And I, I found this very, very interesting to see all the, all, all the reaction to it. 
Um, and Mark, I know you want to specifically talk about this, so I want to give you first shot at it. Yeah. So I first heard about this last week. Uh, you know, Ken Ray covered it in Mac OS Ken, and I heard that. Um, and then I saw some comments uh, in my RSS feed, and I don't know if it was either um, Ars Technica or the Register or maybe both. Uh, and they covered it in a little bit more detail, but, but I read into some of the user comments. And, you know, a lot of the user comments um, seemed to me a little bit, you know, off track. And, you know, they were indicating, okay, this is going to, you know, collapse, you know, uh, market. And it's another way that uh, they're going to, uh, you, know, you know, reduce the amount of money they have to pay for authors and yada, 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 yada. And I was thinking, no, I think I looked at it completely differently. It seems to me the better analogy might be uh, professional audio to AI narrated audios like, you know, professional typesetting and graphic layout to uh, what Apple introduced, you know, through desktop publishing with the Mac. You know, it's it's not going to replace, you know, all of the traditional uh, narrated uh, audio books because, you know, great, you know, narrators with their inflection and tone of voice, you know, they can work wonders that, you know, AI, at least of now, you know, you know, can't do. But, you know, what it does is it opens up to a much wider op world, the opportunity to have a audio version, you know, to complement a print version of a published work. So I'm thinking this is really a market expanding activity um, that makes, uh, you know, Providing a narrated versions available to you know much wider uh, set of people, and you know I also saw some comments that it was critical. Well, Apple is you know typical Apple, and they're going to come under scrutiny for control of the market and limiting competition, and so on and so forth. And uh, you know Apple's nobody in you know, in books. I mean, Amazon is you know, the career run clear runaway uh, leader on that. You know. You know, so this is not, you know, this is not a, a monopolistic uh, or even market share leading, you know, move on Apple's part to control, you know, somehow how books are published. Um, I think this is really, you know, interesting to, you know, provide other uh, opportunities. I'd like to see it ultimately one day that, uh, you know, any audio book you have that maybe it's not an, they don't have a narrator you like, or there's no narrator at all. To provide an alternative, because you know, there's some books I'd love to listen to on audiobook, but you know their their narrators are just so you know, uninteresting. Case in point, you know Solzhenitsyn's uh, Gulag Archipelago. You know, one of the narration is from his son, um, but it's boring as hell. You know, I'd I'm I'm reading the book, and I'd rather you know not make a lot of progress until I have time to read it, because I just couldn't fathom listening to that dull, boring voice forever. You know, how great would it be if we can throw a PDF or ebook, you know, whatever format, you know, add a tool and select a you know narration that we like. So I think maybe in the fullness of time, you know, this uh, capability from Apple may emerge into something like that. But futures and dreams aside, in, in the future, I think right now this is a market enlargement activity of bringing capability to a lot of people who just, you know, can't afford, you know, to go out and hire professional narrators and editing services and production services for their manuscripts. So 
I'd say I'm, you know, two thumbs up. I, th- you know, I hope this uh, takes off and I hope it succeeds. Brittany, well, as- I know you're, Brittany's ch- chomping at the bit, and I want to make sure she gets in. Because okay. She and I have had this conversation about a particular a- app too. We have, who's actually been a guest on your show before, which is awesome. Um, you can do that right now, Mark. It's on Voice Dream Reader which is an awesome app that I've used many times when I did not have an option of having a human reader. But I do completely agree with you. It does not take the place. Apple, if they're doing this, needs to really carefully label it, price accordingly. Um, and, and one of the nice things about Voice Dream Reader is it will do the highlight text along with you, which helps a lot of folks who have dyslexia or other um, print disabilities. And... Um, I can use it on my science papers. Literally any PDF can just go in there. Anyway, I could go on about Voice Dream Reader forever. I like this. I do not want publishers to think of it as, oh, we can now do this instead. Um, one of the podcasts that I really like, um, Tech Meme Ride Home, he's been experimenting with it for a long time. I love the experiments, by the way. But I can't tell if he's joking about replacing reading the news himself, which would mean I would no longer listen to that podcast because it's not the same. If I can have a human inflection reading a thing, I want that instead. But man, is it nice when that's not an option for budget reasons or whatever to have the alternatives. It's it's really great. Um, but I do prefer it when I can see the text at the same time because their lack of inflection does make it harder to pay attention to. Britt, though, don't don't I recall that you said that this was a one of the a tool you used during your education to get Absolutely. through when 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 nobody's going to do an audio book of like a textbook or a paper or my neuroscience papers to read? Yeah, I would use it for the introductions a lot, or even and this is weird to anybody who does not have ADHD to start reading it and then finish with my eyeballs. Um, it's not a replaceable tool by this, like the voice dream reader part, if you're in science, but um, especially if you're neurodiverse and in science. Uh, but it's it was really cool because I could import the paper. I could go through the introduction and the discussion, which are um, easy reading by comparison on a neuroscience paper. Uh, compared to the methodologies and and the statistics and stuff, and and then read the parts I needed to with my eyeballs. Um, if I needed the highlighting, I would leave it on and turn down the voice. Having those options was tremendously valuable. Guy, you wanted in. Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say that the the talk about Apple having some kind of anti competitive behavior from from this is nonsense because they don't own the technology that does this anyone as Brittany was saying anyone can use this and you know whether it sounds like a real person and and whether they're able to make it better you know putting that aside there's i mean right now there's lots of youtube channels out there that use robot voices to to tell these little stories and and you know and it sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't it really depends on the the types of stories that they're trying to tell but there's 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 no there, there, there there's no way that apple can be accused of any competitive behavior when anybody can jump in with this 
I thought, you know, one of the <clears> one of the other comments I saw, you know, oh, is this going to take, you know, is this going to eliminate jobs? I mean, here we go. We're, we're back to that argument about robots taking jobs. And I don't know about you. I, I mean, I, I put I put some of this into three categories. There are the people that just read the book, which is what Mark, I think, was talking about. And, you know, it might as well be an artificial voice because, you know, it's just it's flat. There's nothing to it. Then there are the really great narrators that narrate the book. Then there are the the the, the folks. I hesitate to call them narrators because I think they perform the book. You know, with mm-hmm. with multiple voices, and you know, so that you can by voice by the voice they're using, uh, or the or imitating or whatever that you can pick up the character. Um, they're that good. So I, I sort of have three categories in here, and you know, the I, I don't care if it's a person, I don't care if it's the person that wrote the book. If they're not good at it, they should either hire a narrator <laughs> or just let it go to the audiobook. Yeah, a, a good example would be. Uh, honestly, the, the English versions of the Harry Potter books, I, I can't think of the name of the person that narrates them. Stephen Fry. He's fantastic. He, sorry? Stephen Fry. Yeah. He he has different voices for every single character that he's portraying through those books. And it, sure, they all kind of sound like him, but when it's Hermione, he's got a higher pitch to his voice. When it's Trelawney... You know, it's it's got that that kind of mystical little touch that that uh, was was kind of written into the books, and it's it's great, and he's wonderful at it. Whereas the uh, the American version of the same books, they're not nearly as good. So the okay, quality okay, of I, the person I'm that, gonna that nerd is, stop you for a second. Okay, everyone has a different opinion about which one's better. Personally, um, sure. Jim Dale does better voices. Stephen Fry is a better narrator. But it does depend on which one people are exposed to first. Much like, if you know this, who's your favorite mystery science theater host? Anyway. Um, the robot guy with the yeah, thing on his your, head. Who's your favorite doctor for Doctor Who? <laughs> right, exactly. Who did you, it's, it's who did you start with? But they're, they're actually both great performers, but they're very, they are very different. Um if you're really well, I listened to Jim Fry. Dale first, and then I heard I heard a recording with <laughs> with uh, Fry, and it was like this yeah. is just better. And I, I think it's it's what you said. He's just a better narrator. I like and them whether or not different. his voices are better for the characters doesn't matter as much because so much of what you get, especially from fiction, is the stuff in between the people talking. And if you can paint a narrative of what is going on with these characters and do it in such a way that, that it's engaging and pulls you into the story, well, whether or not you have great voices for every single one of those characters doesn't matter as much. Visit MacVoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices, or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. 
Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.